It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Friday, March 1st. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. The Heritage and Cultural Tourism Conference is returning to Sitka this spring. The three-day event brings together visitor industry leaders from across the country to share ideas about tourism best practices in Indigenous communities. Visit Sitka Executive Director Rachel Roy says the annual conference started about 20 years ago, paused briefly, and then resumed as demand grew for authentic and meaningful cultural experiences. And how do you do that in a really good way that honors your community, that honors the people that you're telling the stories about, and that you are able to really make it a a positive experience for everyone? The conference examines how other areas of the country manage cultural tourism. Malia Sanders, the executive director of the Native Hawaiian Hospitality Association, is the featured speaker on day two of the program. On day one, the keynote will be delivered by Keith Henry, CEO of Indigenous Tourism of Canada. Rachel Roy says Alaska, especially Sitka, could take a lesson from its immediate neighbor in striking an appropriate balance in heritage tourism. How has Canada done this? And, you know, they've they've really, I think, kind of harnessed their first stations from the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's a really cool story for us to look and to to learn about what other folks are doing. And I think it's a really relevant conversation right now for our community. An important idea for Roy is regenerative tourism, or developing practices and infrastructure that enrich both the visitor and local community. She points to Sitka's extensive trail system as an obvious example, and to one less obvious example, the Nakahiti Dancers. The group has been performing in Sitka for almost 30 years and continues to be a top visitor draw. Roy says it's also a powerful experience for the group's young performers what it does for the kids is they're learning the songs and dances of their clans. They're learning how to um, present themselves and how to speak to an adult. When an adult asks what their robe is made of or what the story is of their clan symbol, they also learn job skills. They learn how to uh, go to work on time, how to come dressed ready, how to uh, make sure you have your uniform, how to turn in a timesheet. And so my nine-year-old son, a couple summers ago, he came in and worked every day. And he knew when his show was, what time he had to be there. He worked, lined up rides with his grandpa. And he came home with paychecks that he was able to buy, you know, school clothes and have a little fun in the summer. And that is regenerative tourism. The Heritage and Cultural Tourism Conference is a place for visitor industry veterans to network or for someone new to the industry to start learning about the role cultural heritage can play in their business. And Roy is hoping to one day share the wealth and rotate the conference around the state. So I think this conference has a lot of opportunity to really make a great impact within the state of Alaska. And it already is. There's just really important conversations that are happening now that were struggling to happen 20 years ago. The Heritage and Cultural Tourism Conference is March 19th through 21st in Sitka. Books, DVDs, and even board games are available at the Sitka Public Library. Now they're adding personal care products to the lists. Earlier in February, librarians set up a little pantry with hygiene supplies and other free self-care products for patrons. Adult Services librarian Margot O'Connell says library staff doesn't stock the pantry. Like a food pantry, it relies on donations from community members. We've gotten a lot of donations from uh, the safe shelter. They've been wonderful with getting us things that we need. And so it's, um, you know, we we try to have basic things available. They're always going to be a little different day to day, but we're hoping that it just um, helps support some of our community members who may need a little assistance with some of those items. Right now, the pantry has everything from period products to toothbrush kits and pregnancy tests. 
but there's one thing they need more of. We've gotten requests for diapers from community members, and we do have some right now. Uh, someone donated some newborn diapers, but those don't last very long for older kids. Um, and so if there's anyone in town who, like, if you have a child who has outgrown a size, or even if you have, like, half a pack of diapers from babysitting or something, we would be happy to take those off your hands. O'Connell says while most ways the library supports Sitkins involves information, like computer access and checking out books, the library is a community hub, and they want to broaden that scope of support as much as possible. As a part of supporting the community, like the community needs to have the things that they need to be happy and healthy and comfortable before we can really make a difference in terms of those like higher level information needs and stuff. And, you know, we don't have everything that everyone needs, but if there's a way for us to be helpful in providing people with their needs, then we want to do that. O'Connell says donations for the Little Pantry can be dropped off at the library. They only ask the donations be unopened unless the items are individually packaged, like diapers or period products. Alaska has more volcanoes than anywhere else in the United States, so it would seem natural that Alaska could join the ranks of Iceland and New Zealand in developing geothermal energy as a renewable energy source. Unalaska is the closest it's been to achieving its decades-long goal of developing a geothermal energy source from a cushion volcano just a few miles from town. But difficulties with financing and logistics have led to the end of the McCushion geothermal project. KUCB's Theo Greenlee has been following the saga. He sat down with Alaska Public Media's Ava White to explain. Hey Theo, so catch us up. What is this project and what happened yesterday to kill it? So a dozen or so miles away from the center of Unalaska City is McCushion Volcano. And people have been trying to develop it as a source of, of geothermal energy since at least the 1980s. But nobody has been successful in getting a project off the ground. Then in 2019, a businessman comes along and he puts McCushion back on people's radar. And that man is Bernie Carl the businessman behind China Hot Springs, and uh, he becomes interested in McCushion Volcano, teams up with Unalaska's native corporation, the Unalaska Corporation, and they form a joint venture to build a geothermal power plant on McCushion. But over the next three and a half years, there are logistical problems, they have trouble securing financing and investment, and they just keep having to ask for extensions until finally, this time, they ask to raise the rate. You say logistical problems and trouble securing financing. Can you break those down a little bit more for us? In 2020, the city initially signs this power purchase agreement with the company, and they agree to some terms. They agree on a timeline and a schedule of how much they're going to pay for electricity, for power. You know, it goes by kilowatt hour. Initially, the company says that they can get this power plant running online by 2024, but they end up needing more and more time to secure financing. They try to go to private investors, but nobody bites. Then they go to public funding. They go back to private. Back, It's this the whole back and forth, and they're really having trouble finding the money that they need to build this thing. Your reporting says that the geothermal project asked for a timeline extension in the fall, but the cost of doing business has gone up, and they wanted to raise the rate they charged the city and ratepayers for the project. Wouldn't that basically put the ball in the city's court? Yeah, that's exactly right. It did put the ball in the city's court. And that brings us to Tuesday of this week, 
Basically, the city had to decide whether or not they wanted to accept the company's new terms. It went to the city council, and they decided on Tuesday not to accept the new terms. And that means that the project is is dead as as we know it. Could the project still go forward down the line? You know, it's hard to say. The, the city has, in one way or another, expressed interest in perhaps pursuing this thing on their own. But it's tricky. And, and you know, that joint venture between Bernie Carl and the Unalaska Corporation, they have a 50-year lease on the land and the resource. I spoke to Carl earlier this week, and he says he's not going anywhere. Here, let me play a clip from that conversation. And I paid the lease 50 years in advance. So we have a lease and the resource for 50 years. So no matter what happens in the next 50 years, uh, Bernie Carl is going to be involved. It's a dynamic time. And I think that really nobody quite knows what's going to happen next. So what does this mean for geothermal power in Alaska? I mean, if an Alaska can't make it work, is it viable anywhere else in the state? And what lessons can be learned? Here's what we know. There are a lot of policymakers who are very much interested in geothermal. Governor Dunleavy proposed a bill last legislative session that championed geothermal energy. Uh, Senators Lisa Murkowski and Dan Sullivan say they want geothermal. But the McCushion Geothermal Project in Unalaska, if nothing else, demonstrates just how difficult it is to really make a project like this viable. And it's not even so much the the scientific and, and physical elements. It's making it economically feasible. They got a contractor. They had everything lined up. But investors just didn't see a big enough return on their investment to want to shell out the capital. Well, thank you so much, Theo. Hey, thank you. Appreciate it. Taking a look at the community calendar. The deadline to register for Braveheart Volunteers' free bereavement retreat is Tuesday, March 12th. Today, Friday, March 1st, blasting operations will be happening from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. at the Granite Creek Quarry out past the golf course. The deadline to apply for Alaska Longline Fishermen's Association and Alaska Sustainable Fishery Trust's free crew training is Sunday, March 31st. A showing of leaf landscapes by local watercolorist Lucy Pizzuto-Phillips are on display at Harrigan Centennial Hall through today. And Ramshackle Cabaret presents Throbin' Wood at 8 p.m. Friday and Saturday, March 1st and 2nd at Harrigan Centennial Hall. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News. Mm-hmm.